Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Stay home. That's the directive issued last night by Governor Gavin Newsom to all 40 million of us on a day when the number of confirmed coronavirus cases here in the state crossed the 1,000 mark and the death toll here now stands at 19. Here's Governor Newsom. A state as large as ours, a nation state, uh, is many parts, but at the end of the day, we're one body. There's a mutuality and there's a recognition of our interdependence that requires of this moment that we direct a statewide order for people to stay at home. Without this kind of intervention, more than 25 million Californians could be infected over two months, Newsom told President Trump yesterday. That's 56 percent of the state's population. Newsom is asking for federal help with what he projects will be a surge in hospitalizations. We've all been trying to avoid a trip to the hospital, keeping our distance, trying to stay germ-free. But that was already the daily reality of many who suffer from immune disorders like HIV, AIDS, and some cancers. They're also among the most at risk during this outbreak. KQED's Laura Clivens has more. Massage therapist Candace Palmerly lives in a suburb northeast of San Francisco. Her daily routine may sound familiar. I'm careful about door handles. I always put my sleeve over my hand or I touch things with my elbow instead of my fingers. If I go into an urgent care clinic, I'm wearing my mask and I don't touch anything and I'm constantly washing my hands. But Palmerly hasn't been doing this for just a few weeks. She's been doing it for more than a year. That's because she has a rare autoimmune disease that, among other things, weakens her lungs. In my support group, we joke that, oh, wow, you know, everybody else is finally living the way we live every day. To control her illness, she takes two medications that suppress her immune system. Dr. Paul Volberding runs the AIDS Research Institute at the University of California, San Francisco. He says millions of Americans have weakened immune systems, damaged by viruses like HIV or suppressed by medications for conditions like asthma, psoriasis, and rheumatoid arthritis. Being immunocompromised might not so much increase your likelihood of getting infected with something like COVID-19, but it might make the outcome of that infection much worse. Just a few days ago, Palmerly found out she has the coronavirus. Well, I'd say my stomach dropped out. Palmerly's been sick and stayed home for the past few weeks. She thinks she's through the worst of it, but will remain under quarantine with her family. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. How are you doing? Someone asked me that while I was walking my kids around my neighborhood yesterday, and it actually really meant something to me. We usually answer that with a pat response, but this week has been different. The question, how are you doing, has all kinds of layers these days. What has this been like? What are you learning? Are you dealing? Isn't this weird? For those who haven't been cooped up for the last several days, here's a quick taste from two of your fellow Californians. We stocked up on a million pounds of food the first day we were told to, and then we're just in our apartment. We can't leave. So we're just 
eating everything. So I find myself just doing jumping jacks and push-ups. And when I can, yesterday I went running, today I'm slacklining and we got to do something, you know? You know, sometimes things are taking a little longer and just be with that and accept that. You might as well slow down because there's no hurrying in this situation. That was Denise Forrest of Berkeley and before her, Alex Hooper in L.A. A lot of what makes this hard is what we don't immediately understand. Not just the anxiety about things like our health and our jobs, but the less obvious stuff like recognizing the loss of our routines and our social connections. Here's Stephanie O'Neill with a guide to weathering these uncertain times. I'm calling into my first ever virtual happy hour. It's with two of my friends who were sisters, Leslie Lane and Lisa D. For the past few days, they've invited friends to join them online as a way to combat our self-isolation. How do we do virtual happy hour? This is my first, I'm new at this. You guys are like experts. Are you drinking something? Oh yeah, can you see here? I'm drinking sake. We laugh and have fun, but unlike our pre-pandemic visits, we now worry out loud about a lot of things, like our adult kids, their health and jobs. And what about the fragile elders and the economy? Grief expert and author Terry Daniel says even social isolation represents significant loss. We're very social animals, right? But now we're separated from friends and family. This is a deep, deep loss. And deep inside our hearts, we are experiencing grief. Daniel says we're also suffering a loss of assumptions, such as our sense that we'll be safe in the world. And then there's the loss of habits and habitat, she says. For many of us, our daily routines and rituals are no longer. So your sense of order in the universe is going to be disrupted. It goes really deep. You know, it has tendrils that just go way deep into our psyches and our perceptions of everything. And so we're all experiencing a type of grief, even though we may not realize it, says psychologist Sonia Lott. And failure to recognize it and honor it, she says, isn't good for our physical or mental health. Because we can't heal what we don't have an awareness of. We can't move through it. And it continues to have a negative impact in every aspect of our being, physically, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually. So, says Terry Daniel, use this downtime in your life to recognize these new losses and find ways to honor the grief around them. It can be as simple as lighting a candle, making art, journaling, or just talking about it with friends, even if it is just online during a virtual happy hour. Okay, should we toast again like a goodbye toast, even though we have empty glasses? All right. Hopefully we can do this very soon again. All right. Love you, Love you, too. Bye, you guys. For the California Report, I'm Stephanie O'Neill. And Stephanie's reporting is supported by a fellowship at the Natural Hazards Center funded by Direct Relief. For us here in the Bay Area, we're going on our fourth day of sheltering in place. Can't say it's necessarily gotten easier with time, but as the directive has spread to more regions this week and now the whole state, what's it like to make things work when you're far from a grocery store or even your closest neighbor? Well, the California Report's Alice Wolfley was in Boonville in Mendocino County this week. She joins me now. Hi, Alice. Hi, Lily. Hey, so the shelter in place has been a real challenge for a lot of Californians living in the Bay Area, certainly, where we're going on day four. But in Boonville, do you get the sense that they're more equipped to live like this? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, many people live rurally, whether they grew up there or moved there, because they want to have social distance from people. The lifestyle is already more conducive to sheltering in place and quarantine. It's easy to avoid people. And if you live an hour from the nearest large grocery store or pharmacy, shopping for the whole month is probably already part of your regular routine. And you've been reporting that it's not just about people's preferences for social distancing, but it's also about experience that people in Boonville and other rural areas have had over the last few years. How does that prepare them for this? Well, people living in these rural northern counties have been through fires and floods and power shutoffs just in the last couple years. And because of that, they say they feel more prepared for this latest emergency. The PG&E shutoffs in particular last fall really made people wake up and realize they had to be more self-sufficient and actually prepare for an emergency instead of just thinking about it and respond once the emergency hit. Do you get the sense, Alice, that they're almost more prepared than people living in cities? I think they're definitely better prepared. I lived in Anderson Valley for seven years, and it's a really tight-knit community. People know their neighbors, people look out for each other, and um, after the recent wildfires and other disasters, local organizations, fire safe councils, they've started to train these informal networks of neighbors to respond more effectively to emergencies. I spoke with Aaron Martin. He's a volunteer EMT and firefighter. And he says that communities are better off when neighbors know each other and know what they need. Who's got what health problems when the power goes out or who has what kind of vehicle to withstand whatever kind of weather? Data shown the correlation between neighborhood resilience and disaster recovery and how neighbors are actually the real first responders. So... Each one of these emergencies brings neighbors together and unifies them. That's really interesting. So last thing, what about hospitals? What concerns do medical professionals in these rural communities have as we look ahead to the next couple of weeks? So I don't think that the concerns in rural hospitals, at least in Mendocino County, are that different from in urban areas. I talked to Drew Colfax. He's an ER doctor in Ukiah, and he also grew up in Mendocino County. He says he feels the hospital's prepared, and he doesn't expect they'll be short on supplies like many of the urban hospitals in the Bay Area have reported, but he does worry about staffing. It's a small county. We have a small number of providers, and if some of the providers start to get sick, um, that's going to further restrict the number. And unfortunately, it's not like we can import more providers. Um, there's no help coming from the outside um, in terms of uh, providers or even additional ER beds or anything like that. Another thing Dr. Colfax said is that we don't know what's going to happen next or how this is all going to play out, and we should all try to be really patient and kind to each other. That sounds like really good advice. All right, Alice Wolfley, a reporter for KQED, a former Anderson Valley resident herself. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lily. And finally today, there are a lot of Californians who don't have the option of working from home right now. The coronavirus means life has gone from precarious to disastrous. Mary Cruz Ladino is a lettuce packer in Salinas, where she stands a foot apart from the next worker on the line. Más tensión para mí, verdad, de, de, de tener todo bien limpio y que no se me exponga. I'm worried, she says, about making sure everything is clean and that I don't pick up the virus. 
Our partners at the California Report magazine have Ladino's story plus profiles of a bartender in Oakland, a musician in San Francisco, and a recently evicted senior in Long Beach who are all completely rethinking how to survive. Find the California Report magazine wherever you get your podcasts. And that is the California Report for this Friday, March 20th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our amazing engineers who are essential to our show more than ever this week are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Mary Franklin Harvin and Raquel Maria Dillon are our producers. Angela Corral is the editor of the show. Our managing editor is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Happy Persian New Year and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, urging Californians to prepare for the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. The James Irvine Foundation, honoring the recipients of the 2020 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs>